Drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone welcome to tribe talk presented by progressive jim rosenhouse along with you this weekend with baseball talk on the radio and we can actually talk some baseball and rosters and what happens in terms of the season because we do have some finality in terms of what is going to happen as this week great news from major league baseball and the players association as uh, they have agreed to start spring training. Summer camp, they're going to call it, next Wednesday, July the 1st, right here in downtown Cleveland for the Indians, which is awesome. And then on the other side of things, and then the other positive, of course, the beginning of the regular season for Major League Baseball, a 60-game regular season, which will start in late July. Uh, The official schedule not out yet, but the Indians slated to begin either July 23rd or 24th with the beginning of their regular season. So great news there on a lot of fronts, and we'll cover that story this week with Indians general manager Mike Chernoff. He'll talk about some of the detail work that has to take place to make sure this is done safely. And we'll also visit with Anthony Kastrovince, the tremendous national writer from MLB.com, who will fill us in on uh, some of the concerns that baseball has and some of the changes that will take place with a shorter season and some rule changes too. So a lot to get to on this week's show. Stay with us. We will visit with Mike Chernoff after this short timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Time to hop back on the bandwagon, folks. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend. And our first guest is Indians General Manager Mike Chernoff. As yesterday, Friday, President of Baseball Operations Chris Antonetti met with the Cleveland media. Mike Chernoff was on that Zoom call as well. And uh, they were talking about some of the challenges now facing the Indians as we prepare for summer camp, which begins next Wednesday, July the 1st, and then the beginning of the regular season, a 60-game regular season at the end of July, either the 23rd or the 24th, with the schedule set to be announced uh, either later this weekend or early next week by Major League Baseball. But we had a chance to visit with Mike one-on-one after the press conference yesterday, and he talked about the challenges right now of balancing the return of baseball and everything you like to do from a baseball operations standpoint to make sure your team is ready, but also the safety challenges too, to make sure that the Indians can get through this safely as a spring training 2.0, so to speak, at their own ballpark and a regular season is right around the corner. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, Rosie. There's there's this balance of extreme excitement to get back on the field, which I think everybody in the baseball world, fans, players, staff, everyone is uh, just can't wait to see some action on the field. 
there is also the <laughs> pragmatic part of this of you know, we got a 120-page manual with all the protocols that was just agreed to that we have to implement in basically seven days to get up and running. So things are going to look very different when our players do come in here because of all the protocols that we're trying to follow to make sure that players and staff stay healthy and that we can remain on the field. Um, our coaches, our support staff, our ballpark ops staff have been tremendous in helping us get through that. But it is a lot. It's a whole lot. And the past couple of weeks have, have certainly been insane for a lot of people related to the organization here. I feel like now there's some teams, Blue Jays in particular, I mean, they're still looking for a place to go. I feel like pretty early on, the Indians kind of tried to scenario plan for many different possibilities and, and kind of get a jump on that. Is that true? Or were you kind of thinking ahead to to get a jump on it and, and figure out some things in advance so at least you'd have some balance there at, at the beginning to, to work from? We did, yeah. And our uh, a huge credit to our, our players, our coaching staff, our support staff. I mean, you know, when we left spring training, we it was chaotic, obviously. Nobody really knew what the situation was with the virus and in the country or what was to come ahead. We dealt with that. And obviously, there's a little bit of a lull after that where we just tried to gain information on the status of what might happen. As we began to recognize that we were going to have a bit longer of a delay, um, you know, we our, our group got together and we said, OK, what's the best way that we can take advantage of this and make sure that if we are able to get back on the field, we are prepared, not only from a logistics and readiness standpoint of our players, but also ready to compete and so our players have done an awesome job of, you know, in most cases, remotely connecting with our coaching staff and support staff, doing that by phone or sending videos and just making sure they did their buildups. And then for the, you know, the handful of guys that were in Cleveland or in Arizona as rehab cases um, or guys who lived here who were able to come in to make sure we were providing them a good environment where they could get ready to compete. So at this point, and, and we're recording this on Friday at Alert Air over the weekend, you're getting players from all over the country coming back in. I know some were here, as you mentioned uh, beforehand. But uh, what's the challenge now? What's the first steps for those that are coming from other parts of the country and maybe another country that you have to get through before they can participate? Yeah, we have guys coming from all over. I mean, we have guys coming from Dominican, uh, Taiwan, um, guys through all over the country. So the the first step is obviously the logistics of just figuring out how we're going to get guys into Cleveland. Um, so we're dealing with that now. The second step is uh, hopefully as soon as this weekend, we start to go through the intake process. The intake process is a two or three day process where guys come in, get their testing done, um, you know, go through some educational stuff on what the environment is going to look like and make sure they're in a safe place to be able to come in. Once they go through that, they can start to come into the complex in very small groups and continue kind of small group workouts. And then once July 3rd hits, that's the first day of official spring training 2.0, uh, we can start to have um, our full group there. Obviously, what it will look different. Guys won't be in, in large groups, but we can have the full group there and start to get to some of the real baseball activity at that point. Indians general manager Mike Chernoff joining us. And spring training normally is, I mean, it's a well-oiled machine, many, many different fields at your disposal right in that one complex out there in Goodyear, Arizona, and he kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, how spread out do they have to be, and 
if it is extensive, what can you do to, to make sure everyone gets their work in? You know, it really just comes down to um, the operations and logistics and our, and our coaching staff has been meeting regularly on this with our athletic trainers and medical staff on what are the best protocols to keep guys safe. Um, guys will be getting tested very regularly within these protocols. So if somebody were to get the virus, we would know really quickly. The goal is if, if that were to happen, make sure there's not spread among the team. So we want to be taking the precautions with guys wearing masks when they're inside, limiting that amount of time and getting them out to the field as quickly as we can. Um, and then even while they're, they're on the field, having them distanced. So when they're doing group work, we want to keep those to small pods of players doing that group work. And then as they come together to have inter-squad work or sim games or things like that, make sure that as guys are in the dugout, they're distanced. When they're out on the field, obviously it's a little bit safer just because naturally at their positions, uh, they'll be a bit further away from other guys. You start with 60 that, that come in. It sounds like it'll stay at that, but divvied up into different sectors of a roster. Can, can you kind of explain that for the fans on, on what's a major league roster, a taxi squad, and with no minor leagues, how you can supplement your roster throughout the season? Yeah, that's the real challenge, Rosie. So what, what is called for in these protocols is a 60-player pool of players that we can have. So we can bring 60 guys in. They actually all won't come to our major league spring training just because we only have one field at progressive. Uh, we're going to bring in a bit fewer than that, potentially more like 40 players into our major league spring training. Um, and then as the season gets started, that gets whittled down to an active roster of 30 to start the year, 28, 14 days later. And then 14 days after that down to the 26 man roster that we were expecting to have this year. As those players get moved from Major League spring, spring Training out, they will go to our alternate training site, um, which will be one of our minor league affiliates in the area here. So that group will have to do intra-squad work and, uh, and group workouts at our minor league affiliate. They can't have any exhibition games. So it'll almost be like having a AAA type affiliate, um, but they won't be able to play any other teams. They'll have to simulate all their own live stuff. The idea behind having that group is that if you were to have an injury or a COVID-related um, injured list place, placement, you would have a pool of players that you could tap into to quickly get onto your major league roster, right? Without a, without a minor league season happening, you otherwise wouldn't be able to have any depth players uh, in the event of an injury or, or COVID-related uh, injured list placement. So that group hopefully gets us through the season. I think there's a lot of uncertainty on it and exactly how many guys we'll need. But, you know, we're doing the best planning that we possibly can to make sure that we have the right group of guys there uh, and that they're prepared to play as best as they can be in case of a need at the major league level. And is that over at Lake County? Has that been confirmed yet? That is the plan. Yes, we are trying to set that up. Um, and that camp won't start until a little bit after our major league camp. Um, so we have a little bit of time there, but yes, that is the plan. And, and Mike, maybe this is a, a tough question to answer, but, um, I mean, it, it seems like it's changing by the week and, and there've been some hot spots. Some teams have had some players test positive. Um, how big a concern is it of yours that, that COVID could shut it down? Or do you, do you feel like you, you could manage it based on, on maybe some other scenarios where, where players have tested positive, but have come through it okay and, and are able to return to normal. Yeah, I mean, I would say both. It's a, it's a huge concern. I think it's a huge concern for the league. At the same time, I would say 
the league is doing everything they possibly can. And we on our end are doing everything we possibly can to mitigate that. So with the amount of testing that we're going to have, with the protocols that are implemented on cleaning and hygiene practices, and with the education we're providing to players and staff members on how best to keep themselves safe and their teammates safe when they're away from the ballpark, I think we do feel pretty good that we can really lower the risks uh, of, a, of the sort of spread that could really hurt us. Um, you know, you've seen a couple of teams have 8, 12, 14 players that were working at a facility get it. So it's a real concern of everybody's, but we just have to be vigilant with um, what these protocols are and, you know, recognize that while there is risk, we can do a lot to mitigate that risk. And are there some special considerations for, say, a, a Terry Francona, Brad Mills, Carl Willis, uh, older members of your coaching staff who are so valuable to this organization? Yeah, and, and so we have worked with, you know, all of the um, groups of people that will be in the Tier 1 and Tier 2 staff, the groups that will be around the team, to think about what their individual situation is or their individual preferences are and make sure that we do everything we can um, to help protect each person who's coming into this environment. So, you know, you'll see interesting things like a lot of our guys will be uh, using outdoor spaces that they wouldn't typically use with no fans in the ballpark. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to do that. But, you know, when we think about um, where we would serve meals, for, for example, to our coaching staff and players that are there, you know, we have a really small sort of cafeteria type area in our clubhouse. We're not going to be using that because that would be a high risk area of having a lot of people packed into a sort of dense spot within our clubhouse indoors. Instead, we'll use some of the outdoor areas to make sure guys can spread out and be outside and be at a, in a much lower risk environment. Shifting gears to the season itself and, and some of the things that will be different from what we're used to. And we're joined by Mike Chernoff, Indians general manager. Just 60 games. How much does that change how you handle a pitching staff and a roster over the course of those two plus months? I mean, Rosie, you've watched Tito manage a game before. He manages every game like it's his last game. So <laughs> that's a huge advantage to us, I think. Um, no, you know what? Tito has been thinking about this for a long time, ever since this started. And we knew that if we got back on the field, it would be a shortened season. He's been thinking about that um, and exactly how we do it. This is going to be a sprint, not a marathon. Um, and if we're the team that can both stay healthy through those 60 games, um, and take advantage of it from a competitive standpoint on how we use our players, then we may be the team left standing at the end that, that has a shot to win the World Series. So we're taking this very seriously, trying to think through every one of those new rule changes or just the, the way that a 60-game season would be comprised and make sure that we are uh, we're, we're trying to you know look for every competitive advantage we can get. What do you think about the, the extra inning rule change with the runner at second base to start an inning? You know what? I'm actually excited for it. Um, <laughs> we've we've seen it in the minor leagues, and uh, I think you know it's fun when you're watching highlights on Sports Center of extra inning games, and it can be kind of a, a funny thing when a game goes on forever. Um, but it has real implications on your pitching staff and on what and just the fatigue level that guys have going in, in such a long season in baseball. So I actually think, especially in an environment like this, where we really want to cut the amount of time guys are in the ballpark, it's important for safety reasons. But I think it'll be kind of fun to see how it works out and potentially experiment with it um, to see if this is something that would be, uh, you know, a, a plus and a, and a positive thing for baseball moving forward also. Well, nobody got into the game expecting anything remotely like this, but 
Um, how much has it, it changed preparing for a 60-game season from from your standpoint, Chris Antonetti and the, and the front office staff, as opposed to that spring training in February with 162 coming and, and hopefully a lot more than that in the postseason? I would imagine it's changed your jobs dramatically. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, it's been an interesting few months. I mean, we, we navigated through a lot in shutting down our complexes, uh, you know, figuring out how to help coach our players remotely and get our staff operating remotely. We had to deal with the draft remotely. You know, it's, it's not the easiest thing to run a draft on zoom. So that was an interesting thing. And now getting into a 60 game season and how we both competitively and logistically work our way through that has certainly been challenging. Um, couldn't think of a better group of people to do it with. And what's been really neat is just the, the sort of adaptability that you see with our entire group, our players and staff, everybody is so excited to get back out there that they're willing to embrace this in any way that they possibly can to make it work. Well, hopefully everything goes well and then we'll find out beginning next week. Amazingly. So it seems like it's been a long time coming, but here it is. And Mike, thanks a lot for the insight. I know a lot to get to and I appreciate it. Of course. Great to talk with you, Rosie. That's Indians general manager Mike Chernoff, very generous with his time yesterday. As uh, Ken, he has a lot going on along with the entire baseball operations staff and ballpark operations staff at Progressive Field to get things ready for next Wednesday and beyond as the Indians try and get through this thing safely here amidst the COVID-19 outbreak. Stay tuned. When we come back, we'll be joined by Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. That's next as Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you as uh, we join you for Baseball Talk on the radio with uh, some good stuff to talk about. Finally, no negotiations and, and things like that. That's behind us and uh, baseball ready to get back at it with uh, camps opening uh, throughout the league on uh, July the 1st. That's next Wednesday. And uh, as Mike had mentioned and uh, Chris Antonetti had mentioned yesterday, Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti meeting with the Cleveland media. Uh, looks like workouts would, would take place on July the 3rd. But again, a lot of players have already begun their workouts, so that's good news too. And it'll be interesting to see where everyone is at in terms of their their level of competitiveness to, to play competitive baseball by the end of July. Now, following the story nationally is Anthony Castrovince. He's based right here in Cleveland. Used to be the Indians beat reporter on MLB.com. Now a, a national columnist and also does work for MLB Network Radio and Television. It's always great to visit with Anthony. And uh, as he had mentioned, uh, great to be talking about baseball again and, and not all the off-field uh, things that needed to get done to get where we are today yeah absolutely a, a total a nice change of pace from you know we've been uh we've been looking for anything to write about as baseball writers for, for months at this point and uh, it's nice to be actually writing about baseball itself and you know the possibility of a season and and yeah around the game there's just that uh the negotiations were so ugly for so long um and there were very you know many points where it was hard to imagine if there would even be a plan in place but now you know, lo and behold, we do have a plan in place. I mean, everybody's holding their breath, and nobody knows if this plan will be executed completely, but it's nice to have something on the table. And you mentioned that. Uh, how much concern is there throughout the game that that there is still that virus out there and, and, and it could impact what they're trying to do? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, a huge concern because um, because there's been so much focus, Rosie, on this 101-page manual of protocols that they have to follow at the ballpark. You know, keep the lockers six feet apart. Uh, players who aren't involved are in the stands six feet apart. Uh, you know, no fans, if any. Uh, very limited fans, if any, uh, at, at the ballparks. Uh, no spitting. Uh, you know, no... Uh, manager can't get in the face of the umpire arguing something, you know, so it's this brave new world in terms of all that stuff, but that's 101 pages that just relates to the baseball side of it. The whole other thing is just, they can't police what people do away from the ballpark. And that's where it gets especially dangerous because as we all know, you know, you go out and go to a restaurant, go to a bar or what have you, um, you know, that's where this house of cards is, is really most vulnerable. And all it takes is one guy on one team to, potentially infect an entire clubhouse. I mean, that's how communicable this disease is, as, as we've learned in the last few months. So um, so it's dicey, to say the least. And and there's just a lot of concern that we've finally gotten to this point, but we all, uh, there's a vast understanding across the game that, you know, there's no guarantee they're able to complete it. We all hope they can. Is there a way that, that they can play through it if a, a player or two or a group of players on a team comes down with the virus can can they continue playing is there enough of that taxi squad that they're talking about to to allow for it or or does it become a situation where they just say you know what that's enough i believe there is it's just the the question becomes what's the line uh what's the line where it goes too far um and we don't know what that is i mean that's it's not like dictated in the protocol as far as uh you know x number of players test positive and so we're not moving forward so that's the great unknown at this point is just, you know, would it be hospitalizations? Would it be, uh, you know, a certain a certain team just can't feel the team? I mean, I don't I don't know, Rosie. This is such a brave new world we're entering. And we've so much of this process the last few months. We've talked about it in terms of what if a player tests positive, but what if 15 players test positive? You know, I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility with with the close quarters and whatnot. So, um you know, that's where you cross your fingers and, and hope it doesn't come to that. And and then the other thing is just if there's a major outbreak in a city and we're, we're seeing right now in the states of you know Florida, Texas, Arizona, um, you know, what what does that mean for a team in real time? The MLB does have the ability to move teams to a neutral site, uh, either in the you know regular season or postseason. So you know, do we get to a point where multiple teams are in that scenario and, and the whole situation becomes untenable? We just don't know. Uh, so obviously fascinated to see this play out. Um, and again, you, you hope everybody dots their I's and crosses their T's and, and just does the right thing and, and, and that it doesn't come to that. But we don't know. I mean, this virus is, is obviously, uh, you know, taking over a country that wasn't prepared for it. And, and the first wave is not even over. And uh, they're trying to get this season in before a second wave, but we're still very much in the teeth of a first wave here, as we've seen. It's amazing, Rosie, to think about a couple months ago, uh, one plan was potentially to have uh, Florida and Arizona hubs and, and do the season there. Well, that wouldn't look too good right now if the season was starting. That would be brutal. So it just goes to show, like, what we know today, you know, it could be very different what we know a few weeks from now, a couple months from now. I know you were on a conference call earlier with Indians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, and it seems like the Indians have for a while been scenario planning. Uh, They had the original 67 page uh, document to go through and and now over a hundred pages. 
from talking to, to some of the other teams, are, do you feel like the Indians are ahead of the game or, or right where they should be based on some other teams? And are there some teams really struggling with, with preparing and, and getting their, their situation the best it can be? Yeah, I would say the Indians are right where they should be, if not ahead. Just when you look again, you look at the, the states I just mentioned, you look at a team like the Blue Jays that it has, um, you know, significant uh, barrier to entry, literally uh, in Canada, where you know people entering to Canada have to be quarantined for 14 days. So they have to deal with their government uh, in terms of how to handle that. Can they stage games in Toronto or they have to do it elsewhere? Um, you have a situation in New York where, uh, you know, they've instituted a quarantine for people who come into New York from other states. You know, they have to manage that and get, you know, get clearance on that issue um, as, as players infiltrate from all over the country and the world uh, to play for the Mets and Yankees, let alone, you know, a few weeks from now when other teams are supposed to be coming there. So that's interesting, to say the least. Um, here in Ohio, you know, we got out in front of this thing in terms of shutting things down. We obviously have since opened back up, and that leads to, you know, we're seeing an increase in, in testing and in, in cases, uh, but it, it's certainly not, uh, as of this moment, as of this recording, it's, it's not a, a situation as bad as it is in certain states. And, you know, the Indians have had a, a number of players, you know, 10 or so players uh, already doing workouts at Progressive Field. Um, so from that standpoint, they've, they've had some preparedness in terms of how to do this. Now, it's a lot different when you talk about 60 players. Um, and, and really trying to spread around that building and perhaps, uh, from what I understand, perhaps utilizing Lake County uh, as an alternate site. Um, it's just, this is so far beyond what, what teams are used to in terms of preparation. Usually you show up at your spring training facility, you know, it's all there for you. You know that facility as well as anybody, Rosie. It's, it's laid out very nice. You have everything you need right there. Uh, here it's a little different, you know, and, and while they have great amenities, it's just the ballpark is built for, you know, fan attendance and, and a game to take place. It's not built for, you know, training for a regular season and all the fields you need to utilize and all that, let alone when you have to distance everybody. So it's a major undertaking for every team. Anthony Casterbench joining us, um, MLB.com writer. And uh, Anthony, uh, the game itself, it, and it's hard to, to separate the conversation from, you know, what they have to do to stay safe to what they have to do to win ball games. Uh, which teams do you think – and and maybe not naming them specifically, but the teams that do X or Y successfully, what are those things that they need to do in this shortened 60-game season that you think will, will really benefit them if they want to win a lot of games? Yeah, it's it's so you know counterintuitive to what we think about with baseball being, you know, they always say marathon, not a sprint, and this is obviously a sprint. And I, I think it really benefits two things. I think if you have a lot of youth on your roster, you know, because those guys uh, – you know, Francisco Lindor, he's, you know, still pretty young. I mean, that guy just shows up and plays baseball. You know, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. You could, you could, uh, he could roll off the, out of bed in December and be ready to go, you know, um, versus a veteran, you know, more veteran team. It's just a different preparation for those guys. And they've already ramped up and then shut down for a few months. And granted guys, you know, doing things on the side, they throw on the side, they hit on the side, what have you. But I just think youth really prevails in this sort of situation. Um, you know, versus the veterans who have, you know, more of a routine for getting ready for the season and also just pitching, you know, pitching, 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 because the pitchers are probably going to be ahead of the hitters like we see usually early in a season anyway. And now that's, you know, that's a large percentage of the season. If they're ahead of the hitters for a couple of weeks, yeah, that's two out of nine weeks of the season. So that's a big deal. Um, so if you have pitching depth and that also is going to be really important early in the year where, you know, starters aren't stretched out to go into the seventh or eighth inning. So, you know, if you a team like the Indians, again, has, you know, 
a, a nice amount of starting depth. And, you know, this situation has bought time for Carlos Carrasco and Mike Clevenger to get healthy. Um, so on paper, you know, they, they look, they have as good a chance as anybody because you could, you could piggyback starters, you know, they, they have a, a deep stash of starters in general. Um, you know, you can, you could utilize your pitching staff to the best of your ability. The caveat to everything I just said, Rosie is just, I mean, the number one determining factor in this whole situation is which team stays healthy, you know? Uh, and I'm not just talking about baseball injuries, of course, I'm talking about COVID-19. So, you know, right now in a nine week season, you know, that, that hamstring pull that, you know, maybe took up 10% of your year in the past is now, you know, I mean, like, cost you like half the season um that's not good so and then of course COVID-19 if you know a team has an outbreak there's there's no getting around the fact that that's a, a major uh, competitive factor you know and, and having to rely on your uh, so-called you know reserve squad taxi squad whatever you want to call it so uh, again I, I keep coming to that back to that phrase of brave new world because we've just never seen anything like this and for me as a, a person trying to analyze things from a baseball pr- perspective it's mostly fruitless it's mostly you know not much you can do because it's just so unusual. And, you know, all, again, all it takes is, uh, you know, an infection here or there to really change the dynamic of a baseball team. So if your boss says, hey, Anthony, pick uh, the division winners <laughs> and MVP, uh, are you going to just delete that email? <laughs> no, I'll still do it. I mean, that's what we do, right? We make our best effort. But you know what? I I can be wrong about 162, so I could be wrong about 62 just as well. Uh, so it doesn't make a difference. But um yeah i mean it it is interesting though i mean again i I come back to to youth and pitching and um i I, you know for me those would be the factors going into making those picks what about uh the rule changes the uh, specifically universal dh and the extra inning rule with a runner at second base to start each inning uh thumbs up or thumbs down in this situation absolutely thumbs up i mean first of all i'm I'm pro universal dh in any situation i just think pitchers pitchers are terrible hitters and let, let's stop this farce. I mean, it's just, we, we don't have, uh, you know, place kickers trying to play quarterback, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's old timey and I get the, the, the bent towards tradition in general, but it's, it's well past served its purpose where, you know, players aren't even training to, to be hitters. Uh, pitchers aren't even training to be hitters in the minor league. So it's it just, some guys are coming up to the big leagues and hitting for the first time since high school, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So, um, so I'm very much pro that as far as the runner on second base start extra innings. No, I'm not, I'm not in favor of that in a normal scenario. It, it makes a ton of sense in this particular scenario where you're trying to limit amount of time on the field. It's a very tight schedule. We don't need to have any 18, 19 inning games. We've seen at the minor league level that a, a definite on, uh, you know, games wrapping up, uh, generally speaking, I think like 93% of the time they wrap up within two innings, but you know, by the 11th inning, when they use that format, um, I do think it's probably coming to the big leagues before long, uh, you know, in a normal scenario, Rosie, just because of the way, uh, you know, play, teams want to keep their players healthy. And, and again, what is the value of, of, of those really long, you know, extremely long uh, extra inning games that we see from time to time. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, that is part of baseball's future, but in the present, it, it just, you know, it makes a ton of sense for this situation. You see a lot of people in the game, um, they're asked or they weigh in on the team that wins the World Series this year. What do you make of that? Is there yeah. an asterisk? How do, you, how do you look at it? I think there's an asterisk, but, you know, unlike other people, I think the asterisk next to the asterisk, you're right. They, they safely and successfully completed a major league season 
in a country in a, that has uh, had a difficult response, to say the least, to a global pandemic. So that's amazing. Uh, you know, that, that's to me the asterisk. Uh, it would be amazing if, if we get there. I hope we do get there. And look, I mean, the, the season is the season. It's I, I think everybody looks back at 1981 is probably the best comparable to what we're witnessing right now. And we just say, well, the Dodgers were the world champs in 1981. Like nobody questions that now, years after the fact. It was obviously a very strange circumstance there. This is even a step beyond that. But um, I would say particularly here in Cleveland, Rosie, uh, 1948 was a very long time ago. So I don't care if the season is. 50 games, 10 games, whatever. If you get through, uh, if you get through the season and uh, and the playoff format as of today is exactly the same as years past. So you know you still would have gotten through that grind and, and come out on top. So I, I definitely think uh, you know, especially in Cleveland, it would it would still be meaningful. Well, at least we're talking about teams getting into to some sort of camp here and and getting ready for a season. So hopefully we get there uh, by the end of July and then carry it all the way through. It will be fascinating, I think. Uh, <laughs> one way or another how this all transpires no doubt about it we're all going to uh hey at the end of the day uh you know years from now god willing we'll look back and say we were part of the strangest major league season in history so that's that's something for uh to tell our grandkids about rosie we will end right there anthony thanks so much for coming by thank you thank you sir that's anthony castrovince from mlb.com and mlb network radio and television as well stay tuned some final thoughts and some news on draft pick signings when we return as Tribe Talk presented by Progressive continues after our final break on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Boy, don't go away, folks. This has got a chance to be a classic ending. Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment of Tribe Talk presented by Progressive and some quick notes from the draft that took place in early June and the Indians have signed three of their six draft picks and most notably their first round selection Carson Tucker the young shortstop out of a Phoenix Arizona high school that they're so high on the younger brother of Cole Tucker who plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates so Carson Tucker in the fold signed and it'll be interesting to see now what the Indians do not only with Tucker but also some of their other young players in terms of development in this season where minor league baseball certainly appears to be a challenge to be played anywhere but uh, Tucker is in the fold along with the Indians second round pick 56th overall the left-handed pitcher out of Florida International Logan Allen not the Logan Allen that uh, they already have from uh, that trade with San Diego last year but uh, a young lefty from uh, Florida International, Logan Allen. He has been signed as well. And the Vanderbilt pitcher from round five, right-hander Mason Hickman, had a really good career for a great college baseball team and now hoping to continue that in professional baseball. Right-hander Mason Hickman also signed. So three of the six that the Indians have selected are in the fold, and now they can figure out uh, how they can continue their development at the professional level in this season where nothing is uh, common or normal uh, around Major League Baseball, but uh, great news there in terms of signings for the Tribe. That's going to do it for this week's show. As always, thanks to Brian Motze for helping to put together the show each week, and we hope you can join us next week when summer camp will be underway. The Indians will have certainly some player news, and we can start to, to figure out how the roster is going to look, all that kind of good stuff 
as Spring Training 2.0 Summer Camp will take place in downtown Cleveland at Progressive Field. Boy, you never thought you'd say those words, would you? But uh, it has been that kind of year 2020 has been. So we'll talk to you next week. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Jump on board for what should be a memorable summer. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.